the board came shooting back in the barrel and it went perfectly between my foot and it split my foot into basically, you know, basically in half. And it was when I was underwater, I could feel it going two separate directions. And it was a really long hold down. I believe it was like a minute underwater, which is really long for a big wave wipeout. And when I popped up, I had traveled 200 yards underwater. Hey everyone, today I'm sitting down with Kai Lenny, and that was a little snippet of our conversation. Kai is pretty much an all-around waterman. He lives in the ocean. He grew up in Maui, and he is one of the top big wave surfers in the world, along with a number of other sports. Whether it's riding 50-foot-plus waves at Jaws or paddleboarding between the Hawaiian channels or windsurfing, he's done it all, and he's won in it all. He's a crazy athlete, crazy competitive but he's also a really chill guy. In this episode, we talk a little bit about how he trains, what it's like to live a life of constant travel, uh, his addiction to burritos at Taco Bell, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So yeah, let's get right into it. This is my conversation with Kai Lenny. Kai, thanks so much for making the time to uh, do this with me today. I know your schedule is insane. We were talking uh, a couple days ago, I guess, and you were telling me about your recent travels. Can you kind of get into that a little bit, what you're up to? Yeah, I've just been super busy lately traveling and just got back from Africa and Peru, specifically was surfing that long left in Africa called Skeleton Bay. That was pretty fun. And then uh, surfed that wave Chicama in Peru. And now I'm back home for a minute and gosh, wherever a swell pops up, I'll probably end up next. So you know, keeping myself entertained with other projects here while I uh, kind of rest and wait. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're, you're always on the go. You're always traveling. How do you keep a level head and stay grounded when you're traveling? Does it get a little crazy? Yeah, you know, it gets a little crazy, especially like right before a trip when I'm here on Maui. I always have so many cool opportunities going on and like things that are happening, projects specifically with like, you know, interviews, uh, different brands, um, you know, just maybe I'm paddling between an island or doing some sort of sport, riding a big wave. So like a lot of times it gets really hectic just before I'm about to leave. Yeah. And once I'm on a trip, it's fine. Like I'm totally focused on what I need to do on that trip and um, enjoying myself. And it's almost easier to be on the road than it is at home sometimes because I have so much stuff happening when I come home. Interesting. Yeah. I talked, I obviously I talked to a lot of athletes and uh, a number of them actually find it harder on the road because it's hard to get into a routine. Do you have anything that you do when you wake up in the morning when you're traveling or do you just get into it? Yeah, I just kind of get into it. You know, when I'm traveling, uh, I feel really adaptable as a person, you know, and I think that's because I've done so many different sports for so long that when the surf's not great, I go on the foil, you know, and when it's windy, I go kite surfing or windsurfing or maybe I go stand up paddling if the surf's not great either. So there's so many different things and that's kind of taught me to be adaptable and when I'm on the road, I kind of just let things happen and um, take it as it comes. And obviously, there's a plan to it, but I love it when trips kind of morph and turn into something that you weren't expecting. Um, recently, when I was in Tahiti, I was doing a contest on one of the outer Tuamotu Islands, just a random island off of Tahiti, one of the thousands. And um, we, we had no idea um, what we were going to do for a place to stay when we decided to go to the next island over. Yeah. And we knew there was some great surf, but we had no idea where we were going to stay. There was a storm coming in. There was just all this calamity. And it was like for a minute, like, oh, gosh, we're sleeping like at this little like 
tent of an airport if and we're waiting for the next flight tomorrow if nothing happens and sure enough everything kind of came together and we ended up like in the sickest accommodations at the sickest wave so that all being said um that's what i love most about traveling is when things you least expect to happen end up happening and have you found as you've gotten more successful and well-known uh, it's harder to get that unique uh, travel experience because things are so planned for you Oh, no, not really. Sometimes I get pretty bored at home, even though I have so much going on. It's like I'm so used to the routine here. I love it when I go on a trip. For example, when I went to Namibia and Africa, I basically, uh, you know, I, I had a set routine there. And then when we flew to Peru, I had a different routine. So it really felt fresh always. And I love that feeling of like kind of the fresh routine, not like I like a routine, but I don't necessarily like it the same always. And when I come home, sometimes I get too stuck into my ways, like drive at the same time towards the same place, eat at this place. You know, it's like ugh, I want it to be like new and exciting and adventurous. You know, that's what I'm all about, sort of. So um, sometimes being home is harder than on the road, I feel like. Interesting. Yeah, you clearly like variety and it shows with the number of sports that you take on. What do you identify with now when people ask you, kind of, are you, do you identify as a surfer? I would say I identify as a surfer because in my perspective, surfing to me is about riding waves, the art of riding waves. Yeah. And my own take on it is I don't really look at it as, uh, you know, sports specific because each sport's kind of a different tool for a different type of wave, right? And I guess if you look in the dictionary, surfing doesn't define what board it wouldn't say a 6-2 shortboard it would say like the art of wave riding and yeah what is the art of wave riding to you could it be on a foil a windsurfer anything if i'm skipping across water and getting that sensation of riding a wave then very well i'm surfing so i consider myself a surfer i guess just a water athlete you know yeah. and you've had success in almost all the disciplines in contests do you think because you take on so many different sports it kind of alleviates the pressure when you're competing in one because you know you can just hop over to the other and it's something new and fresh? Yeah, yes and no. I think part of the reason why I like competing in all these different sports is because when I do really well in one for a while and it starts to kind of get mundane, you know, a little bit boring um, because you kind of go into the same places every year, you're on the same tour, you know, with the same people. Um, it's kind of nice to all of a sudden break the mold and then go a completely different direction and all of a sudden you're living essentially almost a different life since most people only commit themselves to one thing. Um, I guess that uh, there is not pressure because of that. Every time you come in as a rookie, you know, or like kind of a yeah, new kid on the underdog. block, a little bit, you, you don't have the pressure. And you, at least for me, I understand what I'm capable of. So there's kind of that like, you know, catch people off guard sometimes. Um, but at the same time, when you come into different sports and you're the underdog, the new guy on the block, it almost makes it harder to win because people are seeing you successful in another sport and here you come into another sport and they're like, well, what are you doing here? You know, and they, it almost gets harder to win that way. But then the challenge is that much you know, greater and more pleasing when you do accomplish it eventually because I'm a firm believer if you just commit yourself to something, eventually you'll get to where you want to go as long as you keep that goal and you know might take a year maybe it takes 10 years um in my case i've had early success pretty quickly and um i think it's about being adaptable and you know 
keeping things exciting because I want to do this for, you know, freaking 30 more years, you know, mm-hmm. like 30 years. I want to do this till I'm 50. I look at guys like Robbie Nash or Kelly Slater oh, or, yeah. you know, those guys competitively were doing it forever. Still, one of them still doing it. To me, I want to be doing that. And by going between these sports, it'll always seem fresh and exciting versus just like, you know, I've been spinning my wheels for how many years? Yeah. And is there also the aspect, I've talked to a few skiers about this, action sports are getting crazy. You see it in snowboarding and skiing especially. I mean, triple corks going to quad corks. Someone's head is going to fall off. Do you feel like you can... like? you get right to the edge of what you're comfortable with, let's say with big wave surfing. And instead of pushing it that next level, that might kind of destroy you. You decide to use that energy in a different sport. Um, I understand where they're coming at. I know those sports are pretty advanced with, you know, they're connected to their board. And the nice thing about like a lot of the sports I do minus the windsurfing and kiting is that you're really not connected to your board. So our really crazy tricks are only double rotations right now. And it's more of an art of keeping the board stuck to your feet than it is the actual rotation. Um, so I haven't been scared from that aspect yet. Kiteboarding, on the other hand, is very much like um, what skiing and snowboarding is now, where you have to to be competitive, like in the freestyle aspect. You got to be going seventy feet. You got to be spinning, and then you got to be looping your kite to the point where you're in negative space. And what I mean by that is. The kite's lower than you, and you're suspended in the air, sort of like weightlessly. Yeah. And if you don't catch yourself, you can break both your legs instantly and get knocked out. I mean, there's an event in uh, South Africa called King of the Air, and every year the two guys will get blackout, knocked out, break both their legs because it's just that gnarly. You know, they have the kite that's actually adding to, you know, it's pulling them faster towards the water than if they were just free falling. Um, so that's pretty terrifying. I tend to, in my sports, stick towards a surfing base to the art of wave riding and utilizing the waves. I still love to jump and stuff, but really using waves you know, to jump out and then ride back in. Man, I saw and, that frontside air that you did at Jaws, I think it was. Oh, yeah. That was so sick, man. Do you, do you snowboard at all? I snowboard a little bit. Actually, I went um, this January. I went with Jerry Lopez up at his house in Mountain Bachelor. Nice. And... That was really fun, but I hadn't snowboarded in like six years um, because it's hard. Here, when the surf is gigantic, it's so hard to leave. And Murphy's Law, if you leave Maui to go on a snowboard trip, there's going to be a jaw swell. And then you got to stress out about coming back, and you'd rather almost plant yourself here to get those big waves. Because the big waves essentially are my version of a mountain, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of where I want to go. But with that front side air at piahi or jaws it uh really you know was coming from a snowboarding idea snowboarding has always taken you know what surfing's done you know like they've wanted to mimic what you know snow or surfing is on a mountain and now i think it's really cool that it's come full circle in the sense that i'm looking to uh snowboarding for inspiration you know to go ride these big waves whereas before it was the opposite and, you know, as a surfer, seeing what, um, you know, all these guys are doing is so inspiring. So just a basic frontside air. It's difficult out at Jaws because you don't get the same ramp twice. And, you know, the ramp's moving underneath you as yeah. you're in the air. So it makes that more difficult. But um, in my mind, there's no reason why I can't be doing double corks out at Jaws on a 50-foot wave. Like, it's just there's no doubt. Like, I see Travis Rice or John Jackson, these crazy guys – doing this stuff at, you know, Alaska, 
And I go, that's pretty much like they're probably doing it in even a gnarlier situation. At least it's water and I'll float back up with my inflation vest. <laughs> right. But I still think you're giving yourself almost like not enough credit because, uh, for example, I think it was, what was it, 2012 when you fell on that massive wave, sliced your foot open and then got held over next to the reef. Yeah. Held, held under. If can, can you talk about that a little yeah. bit? Yeah. That was 2013. I think it was like just after 2012, like the transitional, you know, month, January. And that was interesting because we were filming for a movie, the Stand Up Paddle movie, and it was really windy that day. And the surf wasn't that great. It wasn't consistent. So all of a sudden this big wave came and I was like not really in the spot, but I had to make it work because I wanted to get the shot. The helicopter was there, you know, and it was like, well you kind of got to, you know, nut up or shut up, essentially, get to that level if you want, you know, people to take you seriously. And I just remember paddling in and the wind getting under me and catching air, and I just remember forcing it down. And when I landed, I just hit a weird chop, and it kind of bounced, and I broke the board with my shoulder when I fell in the water. Like, I hit the board, and then I went up in the barrel, and the board kind of went one direction, I went the other. And we have these leashes that are 12 feet long, and no joke. They're like an inch across. They're massive, at least three quarters of an inch. They're just these, you could tell your truck up a mountain basically. And the board came shooting back in the barrel and it went perfectly between my foot and it split my foot into basically, you know, basically in half. And it was when I was underwater, I could feel it going two separate directions. And weirdly enough, it was about as deep as my fingers are here. So about like, I don't know, like two and a half inches. And then it was like, you know, about an inch across spread. And it was a really long hole down. I believe it was like a minute underwater, which is really long for a big wave wipeout. And when I popped up, I had traveled 200 yards underwater from the peak to the rocks. I popped up and I see a rock and it's like, whoa. I remember looking up and seeing the helicopter and I could see the heli through my foot. And I was just like, yeah, I'm done for today. And then the heli picked me up and Luckily, we have such a good safety team that within 45 minutes, I was getting stitched up. And it seems so long ago, probably because it is, but um, I wouldn't take it back for a second because <laughs> the scar I have now on my foot's pretty rad. Super badass. When you're wearing your flip-flops around town, people are just like, oh, there I don't know. It's character, <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally, man. It's like a tattoo, but even more authentic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what people don't realize, too, is when you're held under for a minute, you just paddled in to a massive wave. You're you're already pretty gassed by the time you're yeah. on there, right? It's a long minute. How do you mentally recover from something like that? Actually, every time I do, well, every time, because I have um, survived every single time and I haven't passed out, when you come up from a minute hold down, sure, you're out of breath, certainly, but emotionally, you're so happy. You're like, oh, I'm alive. You know, there's this euphoric, like, rush of adrenaline. And you almost feel empowered to a certain extent. You know, it's like you, I almost feel like I've, I absorbed that energy that that wave was, you know, dishing out on me. You know, it's like it's sort of a challenge of like something's on top of you and you have to lift it off. Um, but yeah, you usually guess because your heart rate on one, one is really high because you're looking at this basically moving mountain that's um, an avalanche coming down around you. And then, you know, you're also physically working hard to get into that wave. Um, and then underwater, the only thing you can do is really relax and just like zone out. And so a minute, I would say below the surface is equivalent to like five minutes above the surface. Like 
feeling wise, yeah. you know, like the way your lungs burn. I've done some free diving courses and stuff and, you know, definitely kept up on that to get my breathing and, you know, lung capacity to where it needs to be for these giant waves. And I can hold my breath for about like 445 is my best. And, you know, it always hurts way worse at the end of a one minute hold down. So I always say it's like, okay, that that's what a five minute, you know, breath hold would be underwater. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And what is going through your head? Are you able to stay completely calm? Because every thought you have uses oxygen when you're underwater. Are you yeah. that mentally strong or prepared now that you can be held under and be actually be calm? Yeah, I think I've gone through the motions enough in big waves that I, I just kind of zone out. And I don't try to think so much about what's happening to me in the physical sense. You know, I, it's like trying to retreat into your mind and not letting yourself panic and trusting in your abilities as an athlete. And then also the safety systems we have in place. I wear like an impact suit which has foam in it. It's basically just a wetsuit that's padded up and uh, that will give me, you know, lift to the surface. And then we have kind of like basically what you would have underneath your airplane seat, an yeah. inflation vest. And those are awesome because you pull it and you're just sort of waiting for it to take you to the surface. You're eventually going to come up. Air always rises. Whether it happens in 10 seconds or a minute, you're going to come up. And I have had times where that hasn't worked and I've been just a stone cold rock underwater. And I've had to, you know, take the old-fashioned route, which is swimming up as hard as I can. Um, but I can do it. So uh, having that experience is what makes it easier. Usually the most terrifying part of about a big wave wipeout isn't when you're underwater. It's mostly like right before the wave's about to land on you, you're about to fall. Because you see this cataclysmic-looking wave that's 50 to 60 feet towering over you and just detonating on you. And there's like, it's more... If you close your eyes and let it hit you, it wouldn't be as scary. But you need to see where you're going, obviously. And visually, it's more scary than I think it is, like, you know, once you close your eyes underwater. And I never open my eyes underwater. I just kind of, like, I can sense what's around me if my board's here, you know. And, like, um, really relying on, you know, just which way is up and down. That's it's gnarly. If you ever break your eardrum underwater, it can send you for a spin and you don't know which way's up. So which I, I assume you've done. I haven't actually. No. Not, uh, I don't want that to ever happen. I have like hurt my ear pretty bad, but yeah. nothing to the point where it spun me and I had like vertigo. Man, the contrast between uh, just kind of like your manner, you're so happy, you're so chill, humble, and the savage things that you do, the, like riding those waves. It, like, How do you, I, I don't really even know what the question is. I'm just amazed that you're so, so chill and relaxed, yet you can go out there and kind of harness this warrior like person and go ride these things is it because you grew up in this uh for sure i'm a product of my environment but um i think being able to have a on and off switch is really important for you know just your own mental health and then also for um just the stuff i do because like if you uh, this tends to happen when you we have back-to-back -back swells like if i have a swell that's hitting you know monday and then one on Friday. Usually it's very hard to switch it off and just be like, oh, okay, you know, like your normal self and, and then switch it back on for that swell. Usually you're like focused and that's draining. And to be kind of on, I guess it would be like when you're in the big waves. For me, it's a light switch from when I go from the sand to the water. 
when I leave the sand and I jump in the water and I start going, it's like my mentality changes. You know, it's almost like you're almost becoming a different person. And um, only because you're entering, you know, Thunderdome, you're entering the Coliseum, you're entering a place where, you know, it's survival. And I would say my survival self comes into play. Um, and that, that is like what's allowed me to perform the way I do. And a lot of times it's hard to imagine if I can pull something off when I'm on land to when I'm in the water. Because once I'm in the water, it seems way more manageable. Sometimes the scariest parts about big wave surfing is the days prior because you're building up the monster in your head before you've met it. And, uh, and it's a sort of a David and Goliath situation. You know, it's like the wave's always going to, is, is much more powerful. So it's about being cunning and smart and, and working with it to not necessarily defeat it, but ride alongside it. You gotcha. know, like how can you harness a dragon? It's just kind of like, <laughs> You're kind of just going along for the ride, and you're nudging it in the ways you want. You're you're manipulating it by positioning yourself, right? So, um, yeah, I'm bummed it's summer because I have six <laughs> months until maybe the next jaws swell. And well, just pick I've up another sport, been, man. Oh, that's what I'm doing. I'm keeping preoccupied. I'm hydrofoiling between islands here in Hawaii. I'm traveling, doing other things. But there's really no other wave like jaws in the world that will allow myself to explore the boundaries of big wave surfing. You know, I've been doing a lot of prone paddle in big wave surfing and competing on that big wave world tour is really fun, but I'm very interested in the concept of taking tone surfing to the next level because here you're taking the hardest part of surfing out of the equation, which is essentially the takeoff. And that's the best part of prone paddle, you know, paddle surfing into jaws is the art of lining yourself up and getting the crazy drop and then riding the wave. But I really want to see what I can do if I just get, you know, towed into a wave and I have the mentality and the understanding how to do these big tricks and get that much more barrel coming from a high performance aspect versus from a kind of like a, a, a challenging aspect. You know, you can either take the helicopter to the top of the mountain or you can hike up yeah. and that one ride will probably feel better than the hundreds of rides you'll do on the heli. But the vision I have is only possible by getting towed in right yeah, now. It's, it's a completely different ball game, but it's almost a different yeah. sport. And I look at it that way, yeah. you know, but it's a discipline of a sport of surfing. <laughs> yeah. Do you find that? So you're so, yeah, you're so variable with the sports that you do. Uh, people that only do one, do you find they're pretty rigid? And so they see you out on the foil one day and then they see you out on a sup. Do you ever get hate for doing so many different things? You know, I think the the mindset is sort of shifting the paradigm of like it's core and it's cool to only do one thing is sort of like kind of twisting because um, a couple years ago it was kind of like frowned upon to do all these sports. You know, it was like you kind of would get like hazed or ridiculed because you weren't part of any one tribe. You were just kind of a wandering gypsies essentially in terms of like this tribal um, sport that we all participate in. Um, surfing is very tribal in that sense where it's like it's clicky and it can be like you know only the people from one spot have like you know the pecking order. Um, but the coolest thing now is people are starting to understand that it's not always perfect for shortboarding. It's not always perfect for one sport. So why not just go do something else and make your life a little more colorful. I look at it as the waves like you've only been drawing with one crayon your entire life, you know, like one color yeah. and here you just got a whole box and you can draw different colors and all of a sudden you have a different picture, a, a different like 
in your own body, in your own mind. And at the end of the day, when, you know, it's all said and done and life is over, um, it's going to be a much more colorful book versus just a black and white. Um, but uh, like lately I've been getting a lot of people into hydrofoiling. You know? Yeah. Let, let's talk about it. I've been waiting to talk about this, man. I'm so into it. I saw that video of you catching a wave on the hydrofoil. I didn't even know this was possible. And you pump right back out without like lying down at all and you just catch another wave in. So can you tell people that haven't seen it? What's the deal with the hydrofoil? So, um, the hydrofoil to put it in layman's terms specifically, what allows me to float in the air, essentially hover above water is an underwater airplane wing. If you can imagine that, um, the front wing is what's creating lift and just like an airplane, the rear wing is creating stability. And that's what's allowing you to float above the water. It's simple physics, hydrodynamics. It's basically what people use to create planes hydrodynamically, just brought down into the water. And um, when you get a, you can basically ride the smallest wave out there because you you eliminate the surface tension, which in surfing is the slowest part of riding a wave, is the drag you get from uh, you know the water on the bottom of your board. So by lifting yourself up and having basically, you know, however long of a fin, depending on the size of the waves, that is going to be cutting through and there's a lot less resistance. So riding smaller waves and riding bigger waves all of a sudden become a uh, sort of like uh, your basically spectrum of wave riding is, is a lot bigger yeah. and the waves you can actually reach out and go into um, you know, you can ride the unrideable essentially from the biggest waves ever ridden to the smallest waves ever ridden and the longest waves. Um, I know I, I saw that video. I was just in Peru and I caught like out of a physical wave, it was three and a half miles long, but I've also done waves. You know, I would say I would consider wave riding, um, basically, uh, from between islands you know, like Molokai to Oahu is 32 miles. So that's like one long wave, basically. Yeah. I, I want to talk about the crossings in a second, but you're kind of the poster boy for the hydrofoil. Did, were you involved in the development of it? Because I know Laird was doing it a little while ago. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because the hydrofoil has been around for 110 years. It was originally developed for the military. The military industrial complex essentially makes almost everything we ride today. Um but then we make it from blowing up people to fun. You know, it's like the transition of that. So it's really interesting how that kind of happens in all sports since a lot of the equipment is built out of NASA space age materials. So that's, um, that's funny too. But yeah, so like basically to give you kind of like a timeline, it was invented by the military. It was applied to boats. It was applied to missiles. And then um, a guy uh, by Mike Murphy... Um, started sitting on, made, made one for uh, called an air chair. And you basically sit on and get towed behind a boat and you can do tricks and stuff. And it, it's, it's like it's, it turned into its own sport behind like wakeboarding, right? Laird and Dave Kalama and Rush Randall and these, you know, the straps crew from here in Maui saw that. So they took the seat off and they started standing on that. There was very little development that went into the foil from the air chair towards that. And the, the capacity they were working at was at high speeds. Like it wasn't meant for low end. 
And they were their focus, their main goal was to ride the biggest waves in the world. Waves where you couldn't go fast enough on a traditional surfboard. Gotcha. And then I started doing it since I was nine that way. And then it kind of transitioned to me doing it in kite surfing. You know, it became a popular thing for kiting um, because you didn't need a jet ski to tow yourself around. You just use a kite. And that kind of developed everything quick. And I always was like, gosh, we could ride open ocean swells downwind. Here I have this run called, it's basically the Maliko run. It's Maliko to Kahului Harbor. It's 10 miles of the north shore of Maui. And it's just great. I've been paddling canoe, paddling stand-up paddles, and doing all these races. And I'm like, how can I take a bicycle and turn it into a motorcycle in terms of speed and and sensation? Yeah. So it was really about going and working on a low-end wing, allowing you to ride not the biggest waves ever ridden, but the smallest waves ever ridden, which are these open ocean wind swells. And um, that was my motivation was how can we take, an, this is a pre-existing thing, but re-engineer it, reapply it, bring these new materials in, and essentially create a completely new sport. It's, it's so different than how it was before. It, it, it would be like going from you know complete right to complete left in, um, on the, that spectrum of, uh, uh, like applications yeah and just recently you did all the hawaiian crossings between the islands right so i um i've always wanted to like you know try to give back however i can because the ocean sort of like made me who i am it's been the provider for everything i've ever done i get paid by my sponsors and i get to do these competitions because of the ocean right and um red bull and i thought how cool would it be to do a statewide beach cleanup basically the first of its kind, doing massive beach cleanups as I cross between each island. And then how do we bring attention to that? Because to most people that would sound pretty boring, like, ooh, a beach cleanup. You know, unless you're in the water and you're, you're at your home beach, it's not something that would pop up on your head. So I was like, well, I'm going to do it on the hydrofoil. It's never been done between any islands. There's never, no one's ever done it. So it's like, I'm going to try to break all the records that I have done paddling on a foil. And so I did that. And um, I guess the idea was that just bringing awareness to microplastics in the ocean, because here in Hawaii, we're plagued from Asia and, you know, North America and South America, all that plastic that runs in the ocean that turns into microplastics that fish eat that, you know, eventually we eat, uh, all that plastic gets stuck into the Pacific gyres and it ends up on our shores. So how, what, what better way to, um, bring awareness to it. And I worked with uh, Sustainable Coastlines Hawaii, who's a big, you know, prominent um, beach cleanup uh, foundation over here. People, they're trying to figure out how we could keep our beaches clean and keep the fish from eating it, as well as five gyres who do the same thing. They study the ocean plastic and they try to understand where it's coming from. Because the whole point is we don't want to clean up the beaches. We want to stop the Long-term solution. Stuff. So it's like you basically just go to you know where that trash is coming off and you stop it there. And gotcha. then you alleviate the problem. How do you deal with uh, the contrast between being a pro athlete and inevitably you're jet skiing, you've got helis filming you. So obviously there's lots of fuel burning and pollution. It's just it's bound to happen. How do you deal with I that? Think, well, it's, it's, it's interesting because the um, – you know, in, it's it's almost unavoidable in modern society to actually operate without using some sort of fossil fuel or plastics. You know, 
the whole point though is reducing the carbon footprint to to a point where it's not going to be high, impacting you know our environment our earth basically because right now we're just over flooding it and i would be the first one to transition to everything you know renewable and sometimes for example electric the, the technology we have now is not necessarily better for the environment yeah. actually running you know traditional fuel like gasoline in your car is probably better in the long term than using you know a basically a, a battery in your car big lithium because that stuff is just so poisonous for the earth in the way it's been applied sure in 10 years it's it'll serve its purpose but it's it's really interesting because i travel all over the world on a giant jet plane and that thing is burning so much fuel uh, so eventually i'd like to see it you know all be carbon neutral and i try my very best i try not to use plastic bottles when i'm at the airport i always travel with a big you know hydro flask basically yeah. and um i guess you know one little step at a time and i would say the biggest impact that i'm seeing in my own home in my own environment has been the plastic in the ocean so if i can cut that out i'm already doing a huge a bigger part exactly and i didn't say that i didn't mean to say that in a way attacking you or anything because i you're oh. doing such a yeah you're doing a well, whole I'm, lot more than most people the truth is is i could not do anything and Definitely. i would say we're all guilty by charge by doing it Oh, yeah. But maybe if I just do a little bit, it'll inspire somebody else to do a little bit. And at the end of the day, it'll make a giant impact. Sure. It's, it's the little things sometimes make the biggest difference, as we all know. So, um, you know, my sports, my, my equipment is made out of materials that aren't necessarily ideal. But looking at guys like Kelly Slater for inspiration, who are basically they're building he's building his brands around sustainability um but you know we gotta also we just gotta have solutions for our problems instead of just shooting ourselves in the foot later saying oh we'll figure it out you know it's like no before we're just saying together, that we're too far gone or you know you're mate i don't think we're too far no, gone. no i don't think so either the earth is is like incredible like if we stopped using plastic altogether today the ocean would you know, rebound so fast. All the plastic in our ocean would probably disappear. The problem is, is the ocean can't break down all of our trash um, fast enough for the amount that's flooding back in. Um, so, exactly. You got to figure out. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, shifting gears a little bit. Uh, do you do any or much formal training, like in the gym, or are you just so active out there that you're you're covered? Yeah, you know, like. My main training is for sure in the water. It's the sports that I do. Um, the the sports that I'm doing summertime a lot here in Maui is like the hydrofoiling um, between islands, the paddling, you know, the stand-up paddling. That is all very much endurance-based. I would equate it to like, you know, marathon running yeah. or, you know, um, basically road cycling. Uh, the So... I get really good workout from that, but I go to the gym three times a week, and a lot of the stuff I do is injury prevention. It's not necessarily about bulking up. Some of it is about hitting key you know, muscles. Like, for example, hitting basically my legs a lot this summer for my hydrofoil because it's such a leg-based thing. In the wintertime, you know, it's really building up, you know, just strengthening all of my fibers in my body so that if I get impacted, I won't just like blow my shoulder out or get injured. So I, I kind of look at the training that I do as very more injury prevention than it is like 
strength. trying to get really buff or strength, you know, like the strength training I get is from the water and from spending hours and hours doing it. There's no better way to train for it. It's just filling in those gray areas that you can't quite hit when you're on the water. Yeah. So flexibility and strengthening areas that are going to support different muscle yeah. groups. Are you, what are you doing? Like yoga and stuff like that? Or I wouldn't say I'm doing necessarily yoga, like going to a yoga class. That's too time consuming. And it's like, I'm actually, when I'm going to the gym, I'm doing similar exercises, but I'm doing it kind of a lot more um, precisely for what I'm doing. Not just trying to get a full body stretch necessarily. It's like, okay, I'm working these key components and I'm getting out there. And then, okay, I'm working these key components and I'm getting back out there. You know, it's like, it's like tuning a race car. Yeah. You know, you're just kind of tuning it, making sure everything's working. It's not like you're taking the whole car apart and putting it back together. Because sometimes... Sometimes the worst thing you can ever do is get a massage, which sounds really bizarre. But getting all that lactic acid out of your body actually can bench you for two days. So like before a giant race, the worst thing I could ever do would be to get a massage. And I, you're basically just trying to keep your body in tune. And your body's really good about getting all that stuff out. And after the race, you get a massage and then you just take a two-day break. Okay. But there's an art to doing it all. You know, It's not like you get looser over time if you practice the same stuff. It's not like you just go to the gym and, you know, two sessions and you're completely the way you need to be. You know, it's kind of a progression, just like it is a progression to learn how to surf and get better and better. Um, at least that's been in my experience and in the sports I do. Um, it's, it's, it's a full-time job to try to maintain. And it, looking 20 years in the future, I want to be, you know, injury-free. And so far, I've been doing a really good job. The worst things I've done is cut my foot and, you know, basically gotten severe ankle sprains. But I've, I've always bounced back stronger because yeah. of my training. Yeah. And what about diet? Are you on the whole gluten-free kale shake <laughs> No way. trends? No, you eat what you want? No way. I need rocket fuel, man. I love like, it. Basically, um, if I was overweight and if I did nothing with my life, I probably would have to be on the kale, gluten-free diet. For me, it's put in whatever I, all as many calories as I can. You know, what's your go-to? I mean, frick, I love Taco Bell, for example. Taco you Bell, know? Taco Bell, bean the, burritos. Man, you I, gotta get a better burrito than Taco Bell, no? Oh, I eat other burritos, but I love Taco Bell. It's just so good. Really? But, so I basically eat whatever I feel like. Like, hey, that cheeseburger looks really good. Um. Okay, but to put it in perspective, I do eat really healthy just because where I live here in Maui, the ingredients, I mean, are incredible. So the, the pasta dinners I have, the, the burgers that I eat, the um, basically anything I ingest is, is very healthy, you know? Um, but at the same time, it's, I'm not like, oh my God, it's not organic. I'm not going to eat it. I really just need, you know, fuel because my furnace burns hot. My metabolism is going a thousand miles an hour from the sports that I do. And if I don't eat, then I'm going to bonk and I'm going to lose energy. I'm almost better off eating junk food than not eating at all. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you I know? can see that, so, man. You're nonstop out there. so it's, it's, you, I couldn't compare myself to even other athletes because the amount of sports that I do is – my time doing sports is you know could be double, triple what somebody else does. And for my body type, the art of it is learning how to, uh, like, what your body does, you know, what your body needs. Everyone's different. The way you might eat to the way I'll eat 
is completely different. And uh, it's about trying to find what works best for you. And what I found, I've all my world Taco Bell. All I've all my world titles basically, you know, the races I've won between islands, the channel crossings I did were Taco Bell bean burritos. They just do it for me, man. Like I just get all this energy. It sustains. It tastes great, and I feel great afterwards. How much did they pay you? <laughs> Nothing. I just, no, I'm just I kidding. Love burritos. I'm like, such a big burrito fan, man. I just found out about acai bowls. Oh yeah, you've dude, never had those. Dude, I was down in California a couple weeks ago. I had my first one. I was eating like three oh. a day. It's pretty much ice cream, but it's pretty much ice cream. They're so pretty good, chewy. Man. That's why they taste so good. I know. We, I mean. From going to Brazil and to, you know, here in Hawaii, we have a lot of Brazilians um, that live here now. And, uh, yeah, Aussie bowls are awesome. You start off eating a ton, and then you slowly wean yourself off because you just are like sugar buzz. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not at that stage yet. I'm still in my infancy. Yeah, don't worry. It'll, it'll hit you. <laughs> it'll hit me soon, yeah. And fish tacos, too. I was in Maui last year, man. You guys have some great taco spots. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fish tacos are great. and. You know why I like a burrito though, is because I can run and go. I've actually come oh, yeah. on Jaws, where I've come by the jet ski and they've handed me a burrito, and I don't want to miss a single wave because these wa- these swells are so rare. Put it in my mouth, paddled out, eating in the lineup. The wave comes, I just keep it in my mouth, and I catch a Jaws wave, eat a burrito. I do it when I'm hydrofoiling between islands. You know, the boat's sitting there, and I'll just come up and they'll do a handoff, a Taco Bell drive-through essentially, and. Then uh, I'll just go and I'll be eating my burrito. But the nice thing is, you can have all the goodies inside. And you can just hold it, and then there's no trash afterwards. You just stuff your face, and it's it gone. <laughs> I think you've just converted everyone who's listening to burrito eaters. I've always been a believer. Huge I mean, fan. A, uh, like a burrito is a better version of a sandwich because for sure, sandwich, it's so tight. Yeah, every sandwich you just lose all your good food, right? You know, so you lose everything as you're going if you're running, right? And the burrito, it's like I could ride a Jaws wave, I could ride an open ocean swell on a foil, and I know I'll be getting every little bit. <laughs> you know what? Here's what you do. I want you to redo the crossing on the hydrofoil to raise awareness for burritos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what needs to happen. I'm sure I'll – I mean, we have footage of me eating burritos out there on a hydrofoil, so I, maybe I don't even have to do it again. But the next time I do it, I'll be doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were – young living in Maui did you go to public school um I didn't go to public school when I was uh you know a little kid over here in Maui I went to a private school Montessori until I was in eighth grade and then I started traveling so much for my sports that I was doing online school and uh the deal with my parents was I had to be getting you know basically a 4.0 and all A's across the board if I wanted to keep on that path and because I was so motivated by the idea of being a world champion and being a professional athlete, rising to the level that my heroes are at, I basically, you know, took it very, very seriously. And, uh, you know, after high school, that was it. I just, you know, continuing to do what I do. And I don't think I could even have time to take an online course for college. Like, my time is so stretched out with all the sports I do. And it's very interesting, though, because I'm finding a love for some things that I didn't like in school. Example, um, writing. You know, I keep a journal every day of what I do and the journeys I go on because it would be cool to you know share that with somebody one day. The stories that I have, but also 
um, you know, to be able to reflect for myself, um, to understand why something went this way and where do I want to go from there, right? It's, it's part of the process of being the athlete I want to become. And so writing, you know, pages and pages and pages of documents that's one thing, you know, when you're in school, you don't particularly like, at least I did. And it's like, gosh, I want to just get it over with so I can go run outside PE, you know, and, uh, and then physics. I wasn't, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say I was ever that infatuated with math, but physics in the context that I was taught in normal school wasn't very ins- inspirational. Exactly. Yeah. And here I'm working with physics with, you know, a partner of mine and my sponsors um, making these hydrofoils. Or physics, it's it's numbers. You know, it's it's trying to figure out how and why something works the way it does, and why it's working that way that math can't explain, and then figuring out why what the math is for that. So um, there is like I'm learning more doing the way I'm doing it now than I would if I just went a traditional route. Yeah, traveling. I've been traveling by myself since I was 15 years old, and that's why I couldn't go to normal high school. Because the high school restrictions here in Hawaii, Maui, you can't leave very much. And I was like, you know what? It's my time to sail. If I want to get ahead of where I want to be in life, I got to start now. (laughs) I had the exact same thing in terms of schooling, man, where, and I don't blame any of my teachers. I mean, I went to a public school. They've got to deal with 30 kids in the classroom trying to tailor each, uh, yeah, you're learning physics and maybe this kid's into skateboarding and then this girls into horseback riding or hockey or something, right? You can't tailor it to everyone. Yeah. And yeah, you, when you get older and you leave school, you realize that you were actually passionate about them, but you just had to apply them in the way that you it's wanted to. resetting the context of the, you know, like of, of the, the physics basically. <laughs> yeah. Did you have many friends at high school or were you gone too much? I think the friends that, the friends that I, that I had when I was in high school was through my sports, through surfing, through windsurfing, through kiting, the people I met around the world. So it was like, it was hard when I was in middle school and even elementary because it was really hard for me to relate to kids that liked playing video games because I couldn't go in a house and sit and play video games. That was like so boring and, you know, not stimulating. I'd rather be on the water. And sure, there were kids that were doing it, but not like today. Today, there's so many kids here on Maui that are, doing the sports that I'm doing now. And I love that. I think that's so much healthier for them mentally and, you know, as a human um, than being locked up in a room. Uh, but again, you know, a lot of the friends that I have created definitely, you know, were senior to me. They were older because the sports that I was participating in, the place I was traveling. So looking back on it, now I have a really core group of friends around me because we're all, you know, it's like we all came from different directions and we have ended up kind of towards the same goal. Yeah. And, you know, that's, you attract, uh, you know, the people that uh, are like, right? Yeah, your and vibe you are, is your tribe. Yeah, and, and you are who you hang out with too. So Absolutely. I get to hang out with some pretty bad dudes and girls, you know? So that that basically forces me to step it up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, have you have you done the underwater layered workout yet? Yeah, I've done that. How's that? It's pretty intense. I mean, it's it's a gnarly workout. It's like the 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 hardest thing that I struggle with is overtraining. So like my the way I'm doing all my training now isn't 
is it wouldn't be as conducive for me to do the training like his on top of what I already do because I would just overtrain and then you'd become you know basically bland sort of thing. Yeah. You'd become like you you just you feel flat. Always you know, training and never doing anything. If well, it's training it. and then going out and actually being worse. Like if you overtrain, you it's not like you don't actually get better by training more. It's about like training smarter. And if I only did, if I was on Laird's program, just only Laird's program, it would be awesome. Yeah. But the program I'm on and the amount of sports that I do per day is not necessarily as conducive to what they're doing, you know, what he's doing. That being said, though, what he does is pretty incredible. It's great training. It's mentally toughening. I would say it's more a mental workout than anything else. Um, I'd like to do more of it in the future, but the time that I would spend underwater with weights in a pool, I'd rather be paddling between an island gotcha. or foiling between an island, you know? Yeah. Between uh, like photo shoots, actually going out there and riding every day and all the responsibilities that come with being sponsored, do you ever experience a burnout? Uh, sometimes I need a break from it all, you know, like you never want to feel burned out. A lot of time it's just like people pulling you from every direction and you're like, okay, I just need like time to go out and do what I love. You know, I've never felt a burnout from being in the water no. ever. That's, that's a very, you know, lucky thing because it happens to a lot of athletes. But the hardest is like doing interviews about what I do and doing those at a time when the surf is good or the conditions are what I would be doing. So it's like essentially taking away from what got me there is taking me away from where I want to be. Um, so it's about like, it's just a balance, you know, because part of my job is, as you know, is to, you know, put, you know, a good face on for my sponsors, you know, do interviews, do promotions, do yeah. this stuff, you know, like sell the brand, sell the, sell the lifestyle. But the core of it all for me is having fun. And I can't imagine life, life would be pointless to me if I couldn't be in the water, really. I don't yeah. know what I would do with myself. Yeah, you're, you're doing, well, at least from what I can tell, you seem to be doing a really good job of staying true to what got you to where you are now. A lot of yeah. people, it's really hard when things just become so familiar. Oh, for sure. Like the, I think keeping things in perspective. That's what I like about being here on Maui is because whether you're a superstar and yep. just an example, um, like celebrities love coming to Maui because nobody cares about them. You know, like it's a bigger deal when Kelly Slater shows up. But at the same time, you get treated as a normal person too. That's what I love about this island is that it's like you're you're not you're not any necessarily better than anybody else unless you're just a nicer person right nice. like that's the core of it all um and sure people are like could be stoked to see you and all that but um it's 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 really hard to have a big head here because you know people won't you know won't help you inflate it sounds like <laughs> the perfect home base it's the same here in whistler if you're a pro skier you might as well you're essentially working at a cafe everyone's pro you know, and it's, it yes. creates a great environment where everyone's just nice and it, it doesn't matter what you do. It's about too, how you act. Uh, the environment here allows you to grow up more, you know, level headed and grounded. Um, it's kind of a bummer when you see kids or, you know, somebody who's, you know, really good and you're like, wow, you're kind of like inspired by them. And then you meet them and you're like, wow, that, how could you, why is, it, why is he like that? You know, like we're, how would I be if I wasn't, you know, getting the notoriety I am through my sports? 
I mean, that's how you should act always. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're just nice and, you know, but you got to be determined and, you know. It's it's hard to balance the course. both of it, right? Because you were talking at the start about the on and the off switch. And that's almost what it is for some people. They haven't figured out how to turn off that aggression that gets them far in the sport when they come back on to land. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like um, in a competition, you want to destroy everyone. Duh. The reason why you're competing is to kind of see where you level up against the best in the world. And I love competing mostly because it allows me to rise to the occasion. It allows me to push my riding to a place I couldn't without that pressure. Pressure makes diamonds. And I wouldn't be where I am today as my, in my riding if it wasn't for feeling that intense pressure in a competition. Um, so that's why I personally like it. But in order to do that, you kind of get have to get aggressive and you kind of have to be selfish. To be a world champion, you've got to be selfish. You know, it's you and no one else, essentially. That's just the, the, the truth, you know, that's like the harsh truth. But that doesn't mean you have to be that way on land. You know, it's only between the 20 minutes you're in the water and that horn goes off and that horn ends. Um, and, and we can all be friends back on shore, you know, but it's it's not looking at it from personal stance it's more from just a uh competitive outlook you know it's like it's just business <laughs> like <Yeah>. businesses <laughs> have you ever had a situation where you've had friends or even maybe family that want to kind of hang out and spend more time with you but you're so focused on what you're doing that they feel a bit neglected well i mean now no Nowadays, in my, you know, I'm 24. In this time in my life, no, because people understand me and they get it. For sure, in the earlier times, you know, it was like, it was like, no, I, I have, I can't do this. I can't go out with you to the movies, even, you know what I mean? Or I can't go out to that party with you because I have to train tomorrow and I have to go to bed early. You know, it's about, it's unfortunately, you know, there's a cost to everything, to having success and winning. You have to be able to sacrifice something, and no matter what, there's going to be a sacrifice, whether it's in the beginning or in the end, right? And uh, and so the people I surround myself with are like-minded people, and if they're not necessarily, you know, into the sports that I do, they understand me, and they understand the the, the mood swings from like, okay, big competitions up, you know, I'm putting the blinders on. Um, but yeah, you are who you surround yourself with. And I have an incredible group of people that, you know, I've been able to be around. <laughs> yeah, you seem to have a pretty good grasp on who you are. Uh, you do a lot of thinking, it seems. Yeah, I mean, for, what else do you do when, when you're just sitting around waiting for something to happen? There's a lot. Well, of... you watch Netflix, right? And then you don't think at all. There's yeah. That, that's an option. Yeah, I mean, I definitely watch a lot of movies on the airplane, but... <laughs> In competition, there's a lot of hurry up and wait, especially in surfing events. You could be waiting a week at the beach. And sure, you can listen to music, but you don't want to necessarily distract yourself too much from your goal because all of a sudden the conditions turn on. They're like, okay, you're on. Get out there. Oh, you know, you're flustered. You kind of have to kind of have to be playing everything out in your head. Um, and you can't get too distracted. So it gives you time to really think. And the better you know yourself, the less it interferes with your competition because if you're second guessing yourself and if you're riding off of emotion that's typically going to be your downfall you know you want to have your ship tight in your head it's like you can see everything from your home life to your competitive life to your equipment 
there's no gray areas, there's no unknowns. If you can eliminate eliminate that, then you're gonna be better off. Everything's aligned, yeah. Cool. Well, man, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I'm stoked we finally got to connect. I know yeah, you're you pretty time. much always on a plane, so this is a rare moment when I caught you at home, and hopefully I didn't make you miss any good swells out there. No, it worked out perfect. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Sweet, man. Well, what's what's next for you then? Where would you like people to find you? I mean, if the easiest way to follow me on, is on social media, obviously, like Instagram, Facebook. I try to keep people up to date the best I can um to where is i'm going i'm actually potentially going to montana to do a kite surfing trip of all places what? you know so that should be cool when that comes out and then after that you know on the big wave world tour and that could start up at any day now that's the craziest tour you could ever be on because in 72 hours you have to be somewhere in the world to go ride some of the biggest waves of your life in a competition and you know i could be in bali and also get a call, hey, we, you need to be in Europe to go surf in Nazare in Portugal. And mentally, hey, you hey, need to show up too, right? To just yeah, turn that to, switch. Yeah, it's just like, okay, dropping everything. Big wave surfing's like that. It comes up, you drop everything in your life. Everyone around you understands because they get it. And you go. <laughs> Is this event live streamed? Yeah, it's, you know, the World Surf League Big Wave World Tour. Right. And it can happen from any time between... Now and uh, March 2018. <laughs> so there's like that's the season for the Big Wave World Tour. So anytime between then. All right. Well, we'll turn on alerts for that. And next time you're up in Whistler, man, there's a place called Mags 99 Burritos. Have you, I, don't, I don't know if you've been. Best burritos, no. Best burrito in Canada. Oh, so I'm good, man. So down. Yeah, we'll do it. Thanks so much, man. Later, dude. Thank you for listening, everybody. If you enjoyed it, you can head over to iTunes. Feel free to subscribe or you can check out the website. And we also post these podcasts on YouTube. If you enjoyed it, you can leave a review on iTunes and you can also subscribe to the monthly email.